This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Jesse. And this is John Joseph Adams. Hello. How's it going Hi. today, everybody? Well. Excellent. <laughs> hey, yeah, great. Uh, Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, you bet. Thanks so much for being here. Um, now, Jesse and I had the pleasure of meeting you in person um, at the WorldCon in L.A., and since then, you've done like a million things. <laughs> it's been absolutely great watching everything that you're doing. Um, I think your your first anthology for Nightshade Books, wasn't it Wastelands? Yep. Mm-hmm. Is that, that right? Was the first. That was the first one. And how many are you up to now? Oh, uh, yeah, no, you think I'd know a thought about that. But let's see, I think, I think eight. I think I have eight out now. All right, or cool. It might be nine. I'd have to, I'd have to look at my... My website or something. Okay. Yeah, and the and the forthcoming one, um, I think it's in the fall from Nightshade. I know you're doing stuff for other folks too, and we'll talk about that. But uh, the Book of Cthulhu, have you got that oh, all cool. put together and ready to roll, or are you still uh, putting it together? <laughs> Actually, that's not one. That one's not happening anymore. Oh, is it? Oh no. Okay. I just um, it was in this Locus magazine I have in front of me on the forthcoming right. books. Okay. Sorry to hear about the that. Late breaking development. Darn it! All right. <laughs> what yeah. killed it? Uh, <laughs> um, well, this is one of those awkward things that oh, uh, I'm okay. not really sure what to say yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Okay. Um, so this is one of those questions you're dodging. Is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gotcha. And I think um, our first uh, time that we ever passed email, you know, you Jesse and I was because you you are an audiobook fan. And we, we talk a lot about audiobooks on the um, website, of course. And um, you've done, I don't think you do it anymore, but you used to review for things like Publishers Weekly. And, and you used to write up a uh, column for Locus. And, right, um, yeah. Yeah, so you're, you're a fan. And even when you were with um, Fantasy and Science Fiction, I believe, weren't you with them when they did that audio for um, Audible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was uh, that was really cool. I was glad to see that uh, come about. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, it, I, I think it had some problems, um, you know, from sort of a, a retail standpoint. It's like, you know, it was priced too high um, and it was also abridged. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think it was not as appealing as it would be otherwise. And um, I think it's really hard to to turn a magazine into an audio book uh, on a monthly basis and, uh, you know, do it profitably. You know, I mean, I mm-hmm. think, um, you know, now that I'm editing Lightspeed Magazine and Fantasy Magazine, you know, we're doing the podcast, and uh, actually, it's being produced by Stephen Rodnicki, who uh, right. who did who who produced the uh, FNSF uh, editions. But mm-hmm. um, but you know, instead of charging you know like seventeen ninety five for for an issue or whatever, we're just we're doing two stories a month, and um, you know, we're releasing them for free. And then you know, like later on, uh, Stefan's going to look into you know putting together an audiobook edition that he can sell, and so um, you know. Sort of delaying the delayed gratification um, on the profitability there, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he seems to be having fun with it so far, and, and I mean, he's been putting out some great um, episodes. So I mean, That's we've great. been delighted. I mean, I when I first approached him, I didn't think he'd be interested, you know, because I was like, well, you know, I mean, he's a pro, and, and you know, <laughs> um, there's not going to be a lot of money coming in off of this, at least not in the at the beginning, I would think. So uh, yeah, I was just really delighted that he decided to do it. Yeah, that's fantastic. There's been some um, yeah. great podcasts out of it too. I think you had a Joe Haldeman story, wasn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. that one was spectacular, and I don't think that had ever been on audio before. I hadn't read it in print, so mm-hmm. I keep do, keep it up. 
Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's great. So now, um, are you kind of exclusively with Rudnicki in his shop now, or are you still kind of? Um, I think at the beginning of Lightspeed, you'd have a, a podcast from a professional, and then you'd do one from uh, Podcastle or Escape Pod or something like that. Or you know, I don't know how all that worked. Um, mm-hmm. were, you, were you guys coordinating with them? Were you giving them stories, or were they kind of just coming out at the same time and you connected with them, or, or how did all that come together? Uh, well, I mean, the the Lightspeed podcast, uh, all the original stuff that we do, um, or all all of the all of the original audio productions we do. Sometimes they're reprint stories, but sometimes they're original stories. But all the all the original content produced by Lightspeed and or and Fantasy Magazine is all produced by Stefan. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what we do is sometimes, like uh, you know, for for the first issue of Lightspeed, we had. Um, the first story was "I'm Alive, I Love You, I'll See You in Reno" by Vilar Kaftan, um, which later got nominated for a Nebula. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, so our first story there, um, we decided to uh, um, see if Escape Pod was interested in running it at the same time. So basically, we gave that to them in advance, and and they decided they wanted to produce it, and so they did the audio, they, they did the podcast version, um, sort of to be simultaneously published with our our first issue. So that way, you know, we were we were giving them some content that they could, you know, that sort of helped them out there. And then they were helping us out by sort of doing it simultaneously. So it was sort of a mutual beneficial arrangement. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so what what happened was they aired it on Escape Pod, and then we put it up on on the Lightspeed podcast as well. And we just um, we took their narration, but then sort of added our own um, added our own intro onto it. So and you know plugged Escape Pod that they produced it and whatnot. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. um, and then in the first issue of Lightspeed, we also uh, in the in week three, you know, so week two, week two and four was the stories that Stefan produced, and then so week one was Escape Pod. Then week three, um, there was Cats and Victory by David Bar Kirtley, and um, Starship Sofa did that one. So gotcha. Um, and then you know we again we did the same thing where we uh, you know we also syndicated the podcast through our feed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, you know, we we've been looking into doing that, um, you know, now and then um, as a, as it as it. Um, as it's suitable, uh, I, I mean, you know, it, it's easier to do certainly when we have a reprint and uh, and Podcastle or Escape Pod happens to have already produced it, and so you know if that happens, then I can just contact them and say, hey, is it cool if we you know run this through our feed as well? You know, we'll give you a plug in in our intro and whatnot. And then they've been you know totally on board doing that so far. Um, like for uh, for the first issue of Fantasy Magazine here um, that I took over, you know, I mean, Fantasy's been around for a long time, and um, the March issue um, this month was just my first issue as editor of Fantasy, um, and uh, so you know, in in uh, in, in week two uh, we reprinted a story by Holly Black called The Dog King, and and so Podcastle had already done that, so I just you know contacted them and they were cool with that, so we just we uh, so we syndicated that through our feed on there too. It's fantastic. Yeah, and, and um, Lightspeed Magazine, I haven't looked at Fantasy Magazine too much yet, but Lightspeed Magazine, I've spent a lot of time on that site in the past few months. <coughs> and uh, it seems to be um, the first you know magazine that's really built just for this medium. Um, I, I know it's not the first, but I think it's the, the best. The, you utilize everything the best that I've ever seen. Oh, well, thanks. Uh, well, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, certainly, uh, uh, I mean, it was... Totally conceived, you know, knowing the marketplace uh, as it exists now, you know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, we knew that we couldn't charge for content, you know, 100%. And so, you know, in order to get any readers, we had to have, you know, free stuff on the website. And uh, so, you know, we're just trying a new model, um, Mm -hmm. you know, by... 
um, making the ebook edition available at the beginning of the month. So like if you want to get the whole issue, you can buy it for three bucks and you can get it right now or you can wait and read it on the website. Um, you know, and, and content appears throughout the month, like every week, one one new story a week and uh, one new story, one piece of nonfiction. Plus, you know, we have these author spotlights where we, you know, sort of talk to our authors to get some background about the stories. Um, but, uh, and, you know, I mean, the ebook edition also gives you some additional benefits like, you know, it's it's in this handy uh, ebook edition that you can put on your phone or on your iPad or whatever, and it's all nicely formatted, and you don't have to worry about looking at it on the website. Uh, which you know, I mean, if if you'd rather do that, I mean, it's usually fine. I mean, you know, uh, it looks great on an iPad or on an iPhone too. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know we have a lot of different uh, uh, options for readers, and and um, you know, it's going great so far. I mean, yeah, uh, the publisher has been very happy with uh, you know the amount of traffic and the amount of uh, ebook sales we've been getting month to month. So that's good. Um, you know, do you do you yeah. pay the authors in a traditional way still? I mean, has yeah, that yeah. changed at all? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I mean, uh, it's five cents a word. Uh, you know, sort of uh, the standard uh, pro rate according mm-hmm. to Science Fiction Writers of America. You know, I mean, it's uh, sure. Um, you know, we pay an acceptance, and uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's pretty standard uh, payment options. Um, yeah, uh, there's there's no sort of uh, revenue sharing or anything like that. Uh, that 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 gets really really complicated. Um, yeah, as I know mm-hmm. from anthologies, because uh, you know, with all my anthologies, uh, um, I mean, typically how an anthology works is like you know, you'll pay the author upfront, you know, a fee for their story, either a reprint or original. You know, you pay them a fee for that. Um, and then um, if the anthology earns any royalties, then um, then you share it with the contributors. So it's like the editor gets half and then half the remaining half gets divided up amongst the contributors. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really, really complicated. So um, at least for right now, um, you know, that's that's a bit too much for Lightspeed to try to implement. But uh, I mean, I guess we'll see how it goes in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, right now it's like, you know, it's uh, we're just paying a sort of traditional model. Okay. Yep, I was curious about that. And now, um, again, in this Locust magazine, the Locust magazine I'm looking at is, uh, what, March March 2011. And it's mm-hmm. got this chart in the back. You know, every now and then they show you what the subscription numbers are for some of the magazines. And it's got Analog and Asimov's. And, of course, since, you know, 1979, it's kind of been marching steadily downward. And then, mm-hmm. but at the very end, this is like a corrected figure. At the very end, there's an uptick. And the uptick, it says, um, if I'm reading this right, because it's got kind of a different color line, it's it, it it's due to digital editions. Um, uh-huh. and it's showing analog and Asimov. So um, do, do you feel like we've turned the corner there? It, it just seems to me that there is so much short fiction on the web now. Um, but And you, you know, you, you do a heck of a lot of short fiction. Um, do you mm-hmm. feel like we've turned the corner on that and it's becoming more popular? Uh, I'm not sure if it's if that's accurate just yet, and mm-hmm. and actually that 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 uh, graph you're mentioning, I'm I'm pretty sure I saw on Locus Online that they printed a, a retraction to that that the oh, that there okay. that that those numbers are actually incorrect. That they I think they added a zero or something uh, on the end of those numbers. Okay. Um. So so the so there was an increase in digital subscriptions. You know, mm-hmm. for both for analog and Asimov's, but it wasn't as high as they had indicated in the original graph. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure which one you're talking about exactly, but they definitely mm-hmm. made some sort of error okay. um, with those numbers. So I mean, it doesn't. It's not quite as good as it as maybe that made it look. But but if um, there if there was an uptick, that would have been the first uptick uh, since yeah. <laughs> for a long long time. You know, right. in, in circulation, yeah. Yeah, I mean, from what I gather, um, having heard Sheila Williams, you know, the editor of Asimov's talk about it, I mean, they've they've been doing great with digital subscriptions. So, I mean, I think that's definitely a sign that, um, you know, that digital 
you know, versions of these of magazines, you know, not just not just like Asimov's and Analog, but also, you know, digital only magazines like Lightspeed. Um, I mean, I think there's real there's a lot of room in the marketplace for that. And, um, you know, uh, Analog and Asimov's, obviously, they have all this history that they can they can sort of um, take advantage of and, 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 you know, widespread recognition, name recognition, mm-hmm. um, you know, light for Lightspeed and, and fantasy, you know, the, the challenge is more like, you know, just to make those, those readers aware of us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but and uh, I guess yeah, you're no, still, I, even though the internet has come a long way, you're still dealing with a smaller market than a print market, I would guess. Is that a good assumption or a bad assumption? Um, yeah, no, I think so. I mean, you know, well, one of the problems with the internet is that there's so much stuff on the internet, it's really hard to, you know, to stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, certainly getting on the Nebula ballot will help with that. I mean, that'll sort of mm-hmm. put us on the map for a lot of people who wouldn't have heard of us otherwise. But, sure. mm-hmm. um, you know, the, uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, the fact that you can go into the bookstore and happen to stumble across an issue of Asimov's or, or Analog or whatever, I mean, that goes a long way. Um, whereas, uh, you know, because people go into bookstores and they look at magazine racks because they want to find something to read, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. when you're on the internet, it's like you might not you might not actually be setting out to find something to read and, and, and you know, it can be a lot harder to, to get the attention of the, of the people who might like, you know, what you have to offer. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we have a real focus on the nonfiction in, in both fantasy and lightspeed is because, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of these nonfiction articles can really break you out of the sort of just genre fiction, um, uh, not ghetto per se, but, you know, the, the sort of, uh, of the people who just read, who are just looking for science fiction stories. You know, it's like if we have these nonfiction articles, that will appeal to a broader range of people who might also like the fiction, but they wouldn't necessarily go out looking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we had one by Genevieve Valentine called, um, you never get a seventh chance to make a first impression. And it's like, it's like a history of, of our, of our attempts to make, um, communications with, uh, extraterrestrials, you know, like, uh, you know, the, um, you know, all the various probes that we've sent out and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's, you know, it's sort of a humorous look at that and, and it's, it's very entertaining. And, and so, um, that, that got picked up by like Metafilter and, and, you know, it's, was generating a lot of traffic and, um, and we had one other one that did very well in that way. Um, Jeff Hecht wrote a piece called Future Weapons, which was just an article about, you know, these, you know, these different kinds of future weapons, as the name says. But, um, you know, uh, you get stuff like that and, and you sort of get like uh, tech nerds uh, to, uh, sort of fixating on it and, and they share the link around and, and talk about it and debate it and everything. And so, you know, that's part of what we're trying to do is, uh, you know, get sort of science fictional content that's not quite science fiction, you know, and this sort of speculative nonfiction and, and see if we can reach out to the people who find that interesting and lure them over to read the fiction as well. Mm. Um, and then, you know, sort of have everything feed off of each other. Um, and uh, so, I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's part of the plan. That's great. Yeah. That seems to work pretty well too. Cause um, I, I think we have pretty similar tastes in your, your last uh, geeks guide to the galaxy podcast. You were talking about a couple of Larry Nevin stories that, uh, blew you away. Uh, I guess um, there was what was the names of the two? The one was a Neutron Star, and mm-hmm. and the other was um, yeah, in Constant Moon. Moon. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, like when I read those stories, I was again uh, blown away. And then I noticed uh, your your complaint about <laughs> Neutron Star. The thing that bugged you was that nobody in the future's read any science fiction. Um, it, it, it has now ruined the story for me because I'm starting to think about that. And it is a, it is a problem, uh, 
Yeah, you have to you have to try not to think about that uh, with a lot of science fiction novels. I mean, you know, even if they don't explicitly state it, it's like I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of problems that could probably overcome in in the story of a science fiction novel if people had just watched or read some science fiction in their lives. Mm-hmm. It's the science uh, the science fiction set in the future has to assume that there is no science fiction in in the past. Right. Otherwise, it wouldn't function. <laughs> in 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 a way, it's it's a it's a strange situation. Uh, how did you, how did you hook up with David Barkertley to do that podcast? Because I, I've known about his writing since back in the, uh, I guess the early twenty two thousands. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, we've been friends for uh, quite a number of years. Um, um, I don't know if you, uh, you know, the Science Fiction Writers of America. Every year, they have this, uh, they have this annual uh, party in New York called the the CIFWA reception. Uh, you know, Science Fiction Writers of America pronounce SFWA. We pronounce it CIFWA. Or sorry, I just hit my mic. Um, we pronounce it CIFWA. Anyway, the CIFWA reception. Um, you know, I, I was at that in one year, and, and I, I just happened to meet Dave, and, um, you know, he had just had a story published in Weird Tales, you know, a little bit before that, and so, like, I recognized his name, and, um, you know, we just sort of started chatting, and uh, and then, um, you know, and, you know, we, you know, I lived in New Jersey, and he lived in New York, uh, and, you know, so we both sort of ended up in Manhattan uh, fairly often, like, going to the various cultural events, you know, sort of geek cultural events, like, um, you know, there's this bar in, K- in uh, New York called KGB, and, uh and they have this, uh, they have this, uh, you know, monthly reading series called Fantastic Fiction, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know they get like they get two authors, you know, one's usually an up and comer, one's a more established name, and they just and they read their stories, you know, and uh, and so it's uh, so it's sort of beca- it, it, it's sort of become this 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 like thing that I would go to all the time because because of the atmosphere, because of the people. Um, sort of like a miniature convention in a way. It's like, you know, sort of a, like if, you know, you're jonesing for a convention, you can go to KGB and I sort of satisfy that urge for a little while, uh, you know, because you get to go into a place where you've got a bunch of other geeks who are like you. They've read uh, short stories. They read science fiction. You know, it's um, so it's cool. But anyway, so Dave used to go to that as well. And, and you know, so, um, you know, uh, we kept seeing each other uh, at these things. And so we just, you know, just the friendship developed and, um so eventually, we you know got to be pretty good friends, and uh, and and you know we we ended up becoming friends with a bunch of the same people, and so we sort of got a whole group together, and um, so basically, uh, you know, Dave and I had uh, were hanging out, and uh, I, and I just been and we both actually like really like documentaries, and uh, I'd just been watching a bunch, and uh, I had. Um, uh, I I had said like you know oh you know we you know we should make a we should we should make a documentary sometime you know or, or like somebody should um, you know uh, because I've been watching all these documentaries about like subcultures you know like uh, there's this one about I think it's called Word Wars and it, it's about like competitive Scrabble players mm-hmm. and you know and there's other things like that that I mean like that one I, I was interested in because I like Scrabble and I like words and everything but uh, I mean there are all kinds of documentaries about these subcultures that like. You know, they're not about a subject that I would think I would be interested in, but because it's like sort of pin got this pinpoint focus on the subculture, it's like really interesting. And I was thinking that like, you know, no one's really made a, a science fiction one like that. I mean, there's Trekkies, but that's very specific to Star Trek, you know. And it also um it has some issues with, you know, sort of making fun of, you know, the people that they're portraying. And uh I was thinking that like it would be great to do a documentary like that, but for you know my sort my science fiction you know like the mm-hmm. science fiction like like you know going to worldcon or whatever you know that mm-hmm. like that science fiction 
um, and, you know, taking, taking it very seriously while still investigating all the, you know, strange or unusual aspects of it, but treating it respectfully. Um, and so I was, you know, sort of all excited about this idea because also my friend Rob um, actually is a uh, film producer. Um, you know, he works on like little independent films, but, um, you know, you know he, ha- he certainly has connections and knows people who uh, know how to make films. And uh, so I was like, you know, oh, well, we have all the ingredients here, man. Like, we could do this. And mm-hmm. um, and Dave was like, well, I don't know about that. I mean, it sounds like a lot of work. Uh, maybe we could try a podcast. Um, I was like, ah, I don't know. All right. <laughs> let's do it. You know? um, so, you know, that's how we started talking about doing uh, Geek's Guide, uh, what eventually became Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And, uh, you know, we just it sort of just sort of started from there. And, uh, you know, Dave and I just, you know, sat down and started hammering out what we want to be. And we pretty quickly came up with, you know, sort of the interview being the focus of the, of the show. And then, uh, you know, sort of, we just, we, you know, for people who haven't listened to it, we basically, we have a, we have a celebrity guest interview that we, you know, sort of spend about 20 minutes to half an hour on. And then we spend the other half of the show sort of talking about, uh, various topics brought up in the interview. Um, and just Dave and I, and, uh, so, Yep. Yeah, yep. that's how it was born. Good podcast. Love that podcast. Yeah, thanks. It, yep. it, it, it is an excellent podcast. And uh, what what I like about it is you do sort of go outside of what uh, – it's not just authors. There there are <laughs> predominantly authors, but you're going outside of even science fiction a bit. You went into um, – uh, you had the guy who created The Walking Dead on, and <laughs> um, you had Dan Carlin on, who I thought, you know, that's – that's not science fiction, and mm-hmm. yet we had him on our podcast. The same reason is he's he is talking about science fiction in a very uh, strange way. It's history is <laughs> very much like science fiction. It is exploring the human condition, and and like you you were saying in in your movies uh, or your movie documentaries, it's about uh, the anthropology of what mm-hmm. what strange things people can be fascinated with, and what yeah, we definitely. can learn from that. Mm-hmm. Who who is your most interesting guest? It says George R. R. Martin is your top guest, and mm-hmm. that's not a surprise. Everybody wants to know when his new book's out. <laughs> but Brian Dunning is number two, and he's not yeah. he's not as high a name, right? Yeah, I was I was I was pleasantly surprised to see that one getting uh, that much uh, attention. Uh, I mean, you know, that was a really interesting, really interesting episode. Uh, you know, people who don't know, you know, Brian Dunning does the, the Skeptoid podcast, which is a sort of a critical thinking slash uh, skeptical show. Um, you know, where he sort of he tackles the subject every week uh, or every episode. Um, you know, like from everything from like Bigfoot to uh, whether or not you can, whether or not using a cell phone on a plane will really do anything, you know, it's sort of, so it sort of has something of myth busters in it as well. Cause like, I mean, some of the things that he's covered, I've also seen them try to uh, disprove on or, or prove or disprove on myth busters. But uh, yeah, no, that's, that was a really fun show to do. Uh, I mean, you know, cause I, I, um, I actually took a, um, a, like a, I took a class in college called anthropology and the paranormal. Um, and it was basically a debunking class, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, I assume some of the people who go who who would sign up for that class might have gone into it thinking that like oh this is this would be interesting finding out about all these uh, paranormal phenomena and then it's like it very very quickly became apparent that the teacher just like had no had no interest in talk, taking any of it seriously which was great to me I mean because I you know I thought it was all BS anyway but um, but it was really cool to see the way um, you know you can totally just disprove all of these things because of you know the scientific method basically um, but yeah no so yeah that that was one of the most interesting episodes to do certainly 
it, it also has to has to be that it, these are podcasts you're listening to, and you say, "Oh, this guy's really interesting. I think more people should listen to his podcast. I uh, wonder he'd come on our podcast." Is that how a lot of it works? You you had the Tolkien professor on, right? Mm-hmm. Is that is that the same idea? Yeah, I mean that's how that's how we ended up with Dan Carlin, with Brian Dunning, and with uh, with with Corey, the, Tol- the Tolkien professor. Uh, I mean that's that's how we ended up with those guys, um, and and also we had Steve Elion from Escape Pod. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sure. Uh, uh, I mean you know there's that, and then also we uh, you know we kind of hope that um, you know if if we interview those guys, maybe the people who listen to their shows will also want to come listen to our show because. You know, they're also they're already fans of of, of uh, their original. You know, the the guest podcast. You know, sort right. of get cross promotion going on. But yeah, no. Um, uh, are we still? Yeah, okay. Oh, sorry, yeah. We're, we're still going. Skype Skype just blinked on me, and I thought I got disconnected. Sorry. Um, but uh, yeah, no. I mean, uh, certainly. Uh, I mean, Dave Dave has listened to like a ton of podcasts. I mean, like you know, he he's he's listened to like so many like obscure podcasts that I'd never heard of. I was really surprised because um, you know I, I didn't even know that before we started the show. But um, you know, so he you know he su- he suggested uh, you know those three guys and and you know and together we kind of talked about Steve Ely. But um, but yeah, I mean that's that's what we figure. And you know we figure well you know people who have podcasts already will by default, kind of be good guests, you know, because they're, they're obviously comfortable talking um, at length um, about whatever subjects, you know, uh, that they're knowledgeable about. And, uh, you know, we, we know they're going to have fairly good recording equipment, so we'll have a good, uh, good recording. And, you know, a lot of, lot of benefits to interviewing other podcasters. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and primarily that, yeah, I mean, we've listened to them before. We know they're going to be a really good interview. So, Yep. Right back at you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. So um, let's see, if I get back just to the audio for just one second, because um, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, all these cool anthologies you're doing, the the uh, the Living Dead anthology and the Sherlock Holmes, what was it, the Improbable Adventures? Improbable of, Adventures, yeah. yeah. And now the Improbable Adventures of Sherlock Holmes came out on audio, mm-hmm. but nothing, none of them, none of the other ones did. Um, is that right. just too difficult to put together or... Um, what what's the reasoning there? Yeah, you know, I mean, I was really disappointed. I mean, you know, I kind of, I, you know, obviously being an audiobook fan, I'd love to see my anthologies adapted to audio. Um, it, it is it is complicated um, because you know when you're putting together an anthology, you, you know, you have to secure the rights um, with the authors. And with a reprint anthology, it's a little trickier because you know you have to get these certain stories that fit the theme, and some of them are sort of like obvious stories that you have to get and you have to put them in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like some authors, um, you know, some of the more well-known authors, for instance, you know, they uh, they'll grant you the rights to put to use their story, but they're not going to grant you all the rights maybe that you're looking for. And so, like I always try to get audio rights. You know specifically only so that I could do an audiobook edition of the anthology but mm-hmm. some people just don't want to give those rights up and you know in, in most cases it's not it's not worth you know trying to you know spend extra money to get those because especially if I don't know if anyone's interested in doing the audiobook mm-hmm. um so I mean that's part of it but then also um I think anthologies uh they're not a sure enough thing I think for most uh, audiobook publishers to take a chance on them mm-hmm. um you know brilliance obviously took a shot on uh, improbable adventures of Sherlock Holmes and it actually did quite well for them I mean it, it earned royalties so I mean um that was yeah. a good sign um but uh yeah and- and, and, you know, they were interested in doing other ones, but it never materialized. So Yeah, just from the outside looking in, I, I would think that, you know, a Living Dead anthology on audio would be great. <laughs> you know, would do very yeah. well, even if it was like, you know, 10 of the stories or something like that. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, um, I mean, I think everybody's so loath to do anything abridged right now that it's mm-hmm. hard to uh, to do anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and the thing is, like, you know, uh, uh, like The Living Dead 2, um, you know, I that 100%, it's totally clear to do audio, um, and uh, and I thought we were going to do that, and it just didn't materialize for whatever reason. So, hmm. um, you know, that was re- I was really bummed about that one because I was like, oh, this this is great. I've got all the rights. It's, everything's lined up. It should be perfect. We should be able to get it out simultaneously with the book, you know, mm-hmm. which is always nice because, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of sucks when, you know, you have the book come out, and then you have to wait and wait and wait for the audiobook version to come out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, it didn't happen, though. So, hey, anybody yeah. who's an uh, audiobook producer listening to this. <laughs> right. So hey, do you my agent a call. do you still spend any time listening to audio yourself? Uh yeah, actually, and uh, you know I um uh you know although I'm not reviewing for Publishers Weekly or, or Locus anymore, I'm actually uh, reviewing for Audible now and then. Oh okay. Um, they mm-hmm. uh you know they they do like this series of um like sort of expert editor reviews. They I mean they call them edit, editor reviews, but they're sort of like you know just people who are like audiobook experts or or reviewers that they um you know sort of the idea is that you 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 find something on Audible that's uh, maybe not getting the attention that it's due. Um, and you know you you review it and you highlight it as mm. something to check out you know so like you cool. know we wouldn't review anything that we didn't like we'd only uh, review things that we thought were particularly noteworthy right. and uh, but maybe weren't getting any any reader reviews or anything. Well, um, yeah. so have you heard anything yes. lately that you just um, you think is wonderful? You know, even uh, if it's not for Audible, just for anybody. Right. Um, let's see. What have I listened to lately? See, I can't. Uh, I can't uh, say anything about ones that I haven't reviewed yet because oh, sure. uh, I have mm-hmm. like a, an exclusivity thing with them. But mm-hmm. um, let's see. Uh, what was it? Oh, um, yeah. No, I haven't reviewed that one yet. Uh, <laughs> well, anyway, I don't know if you if you go to if you go to um, Audible and you search for my name, um, okay. you can actually it'll bring up all the things that I reviewed. Uh, I mean, right. I know like there's a Carrie like the first Carrie Vaughn um, Kitty book, Kitty in the Midnight Hour. That was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't read any of the books. I'd read some of the stories, but, um, I really enjoyed the audio, um, uh, largely, uh, or not largely because of, but, you know, specifically because of, um, you know, the narrator was just really, really, she really had a great handle on that voice that, that the narrator has. And, uh, and, you know, it's like, uh, you know, the narrator of the book is actually a, a radio show host. Um, you know, she has a, she has like a talk show, um, about like supernatural stuff like werewolves and whatever. Um, and then, but then also, she is a werewolf, um, and uh, so you know it's uh, uh, there, a lot of a lot of the book is actually you know sort of writing out um, you know the, the 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 talk show host talking on the air with with callers and whatnot, and and the narrator just does a, such a great job with that. Like I mean, like I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised to learn that she actually was you know uh, mm-hmm. a radio show host at some point because she, she was just really comfortable with it and it sounded really good. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, so yeah, that was a really good one. But Excellent. yeah, I mean, if you check out if you check out Audible and look up my name, you can you can find all the other ones I I, I singled out. I mean, um, actually, I'll, I'll give a shout out to Wild Seed by Octavia Butler, um, which is one of the one of my favorite books like ever. <laughs> but mm-hmm. and it's an amazing book. Um, and uh, and the guy who read that, oh my god, that guy was amazing. Um, because like it's like the like there's a character in, there's characters in there that like change bodies, and so like. It's the same character, but it has a different voice now because it's in a different body, and so mm-hmm. and, and so he has to handle all that so, and make it so that you know the listener's still following what's going on. Um, but then also he like has like he has like a whole bag of tricks, man. It's like you know he had like a different voice for every single mm-hmm. character. It was amazing. Oh, cool. Sean Graham was the name of that narrator. Yeah, yeah. No, he's amazing. Um, yeah, cool. and yeah, actually, you know, I looked him up at some point, like on IMDb, and and. Uh, 
uh, and I recognized, oh, yeah, uh, he was on, uh, did, do you guys watch The Wire, or have you seen mm-hmm. The Wire? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, you know, he's, uh, he, played, uh, he played the DA um, in the later seasons, uh, uh, one of the DAs. And so I was like, oh, hey, I recognize that guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, I didn't recognize his voice, but, um, you know, when I listened to the audiobook. But, yeah, that was kind of cool. Cool. Awesome. Um. Hey, here's a weird question for you. Um, yeah. You know, the art on Lightspeed, is, is that uh, it's by Donato Giancola? Uh, is, that by you? is that supposed to be you? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, yeah, In the space the, helmet. The, <laughs> You're right. Yeah, no the the, the March cover uh, is by uh, by Donato, but um, yeah, no that was an existing piece that uh, that we just you know we bought the rights to. Uh, so no, no, not it wasn't supposed to be me. Well, you uh, you did choose it then. <laughs> well, I I didn't actually choose it though. Uh, oh, you didn't. No, because we have uh, our, we have an art director, uh, Pablo Pablo Defendini is our art director now. So uh, he he's the one that found that and chose it. So. Yeah, I can't claim any credit for that, but yeah, no, I guess uh, it does kind of look. I mean, I I don't have the goatee anymore. I just have a little chin beard. Uh, so, mm-hmm. but you know, if I had that out and I you know sort of had darker darker complexion, you know, maybe that would be me. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, so, uh, what prompted the move to the West Coast? You're on the West Coast now, right? Right. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I um, I went to the World Fantasy Convention in 2009, and uh, I met a lovely young woman uh, named Christy Yant. Mm-hmm. She's actually sitting in the room here with me, so she's listening to all this. She's just being quiet. Over <laughs> um, but uh, so you know, we uh, you know we just met and we talked and stuff, and then uh, we sort of uh, connected online after that, and uh, and we started seeing each other. And uh, so uh, you know, after after seeing each other long distance for you know um, you know I don't know about a good good portion of a year, um, you know, in, in January I, I moved out here. And, uh, and then actually just last, just, uh, you know, this week here, I, I just proposed. So, Oh, congratulations. Um, well, congrats. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That is great news. And where and she about- said, yes. So yes, it is. Oh, great. oh good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And where <laughs> about- if I proposed and she said, no, that would be shitty news. Oh, sorry. Am I allowed to start your podcast? Yes, you're allowed to start. That's okay, right. Good. You're encouraged to start. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, where whereabouts on the west coast are you because i i expected you to be to eastern eastern standard time like right where you were before yeah. uh well i'm in the central coast of california it's okay. a town called lompoc um sort of uh 50 miles north of santa barbara okay that area yeah mm-hmm. i mean uh it's it's certainly a nice upgrade and weather wise uh you know i was in new jersey and um you know in the middle of uh horrible horrible winter with uh you know just snowstorm after snowstorm um, and you know, I escaped to sunny California and it's like, you know, it's like 70 degrees, like all the time all, um, or, or most of the time anyway, it's actually pretty cold today cause it's been raining and overcast, but, um, it'll yeah, get funnier. Big, big mm-hmm. weather upgrade. Cool. Hey, and I also see in your list of upcoming events, um, that you are going to be a guest lecturer at the Odyssey Writers Workshop. Is that, uh, the first one of those types of things that you've done? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I haven't. Uh, I've actually never taught anything before, so uh, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a little nervous about that. But um, you know, but Jean Cavellos, uh, you know, she runs Odyssey, and and she assures me that it'll be fine, and she'll give me pointers and whatnot. But oh, cool. um, you know, because it's like you know, it's my my experience and whatever and whatnot will uh, will will steer me through. I'm sure it's just uh, mm-hmm. uh, and it's only it's it's it's, it's just one day. Um, but uh, you know, I'll be working with the students, and I'll be reading their stories, and and you know, offering uh, criticism and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's the that's the first one. Right, and then um, later this week, as a matter of fact, you'll be uh, at Texas A and M University. 
Um, yeah. guest, guest of honor at AggieCon. Yeah, yeah. That's um, great. Yeah, that's my my first guest of honor as well. So, oh, cool. Um, yeah. yeah so that, all uh, these firsts. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm excited. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I uh, also, also have my first Nebula nominations this year, yes, too. Yes, so that's right. <laughs> well, good Although luck I was with nominated that. for the World Fantasy Awards, so, uh-huh. you know, not my first awards, per se, but first Nebula. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to AggieCon. It should be fun. Yeah, well, that's great. Yeah, I mean, you've yeah, been. Yeah, Valente is uh, other another guest of honor. So, uh, and 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 like she's like she's like one of the only people that I know that's actually going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like it's going to be quite an unusual convention experience, I think, because um, most of these things I go and I know a ton of people already. Uh-huh. Uh, whereas this one, it's um, you know, it's a little different um, than the usual cons I go to. So, and it's also in Texas, which I don't. I you know, I've been to I've been to the World Fantasy that was in Austin, but. Um, I mean, I mean, I haven't been to Texas otherwise, so uh, mm-hmm. I expect there's going to be a bunch of locals that will go to that, but maybe no, don't go to other conventions. And also, um, you know, it, it is a it is a student run organization that puts on um, puts on IGCon, so I assume there's going to be a lot of Texas A and M students and whatnot. So, gotcha. uh, so you know, new people to meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So it must be oh, interesting. Ahead. Also, going to a writer's workshop, I, I I I find myself very surprised at how much of the content on on the internet about science fiction is about how to write science fiction rather than <laughs> just reading science fiction. You're, as far as I know, you've never written an, or published a, one of your own stories, so you're coming at it from a different perspective than a lot of the stuff that's out there. You know, there's a podcast called I Should Be Writing, and there's <laughs> five or six podcasts by writers who are writing science fiction. What's what's your take on that that phenomenon? The the reader versus the writer content yeah i mean i i think there's i think there's too much of 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 that in science fiction that um you know people don't stop to think that that you know the customer is the reader it's not other writers you know and it's like if other writers um find what you're doing interesting that's great but you know you have to be first and foremost for the readers um you know because like that's one of the things with lightspeed i know i'm very always very careful to 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 do is um you know just keep in mind that everything we're doing, everything about the design of the site down to the content that we're choosing, you know, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, this is for readers, not just for writers. And, um, you know, there, I mean, cause there are stories that you read and you're like, Oh, well, this is a, this is a story that I think writers will really like, but I don't know that a whole lot of readers will, you know what I mean? Yep. It's like, you can, you know, it, it's like, whether it's because of the stylistic tricks that they're employing or, um, or, or, or like I've read stories that are just like very sort of insular in that they sort of, um, like anybody who's gone to a bunch of science fiction conventions would read them and be like, Oh wow, this is really good. And it's like, you know, capturing the essence of all this really well. But then, um, but then like, you know, anybody who's, who's not familiar with that and is just a science fiction fan who's read books and, and been a fan for years or whatever, it's like, they wouldn't necessarily connect with it uh, in that way. Um, and so, and yeah, that's the other thing too, is that, you know, when you think of science fiction conventions, it's like, you know a large majority of the people who go to those are writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, it, it is kind of funny because you're like, well, I mean, you know, really the point of going to those is sort of, I mean, it's the network with other writers, but also, I mean, the primary uh, reason to go is to, to, you know, meet fans and, and, and get new fans. Right. I mean, and, and to have fun, but um, you know, I mean, as far as the sort of business aspect of it, I mean, like the reason you're going is to, to, you know, promote yourself and to make and meet, meet fans and make new fans. Um, but I think a lot of writers um, sort of forget that not everybody is actually interested in the mechanics of writing or wanting to learn how to write. Um, and it's especially true in short fiction that you sort of, uh, I mean, people sort of 
tend to forget that like, well, hey, you know what? Not everybody who's who's a reader is a, also a potential writer, although sometimes it seems like everyone is. It, uh, it, it, it seems like a lot of the people are very vocal about how they are, you know, planning to be a writer. Yeah. Something like, I, I, don't, I have no plans to be a science fiction writer. I I don't have the faculty for it, the facility, what what have you. Uh, but I love reading the stuff, and I, I want to hear some great stories and some talk about some great stories, why I should be reading the stories, not how to, you know, get my book published. Or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, there, there seems to be uh, a little bit too much of that. Uh, have, you, have you just, you have no plans to become a, a writer yourself? Uh, I wouldn't say I had no. I have no plans. I mean, I mean, you no. do write. You just don't write fiction, right? You you write right. Edit, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, editorials, uh, et cetera. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've 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 actually ended up publishing a ton of nonfiction stuff from reviews sure, to interviews sure. and whatever. But um, you know, yeah, no, I mean, I, I you know, I got into editing through an interest in writing and, and writing fiction. Um, and you know, so that's where I started. Um, and you know, in college, I took creative writing workshops in in, in college, and and you know, I uh, sort of developed an aptitude or learned that I had an aptitude for editing, you know, the work of others. And and so I saw that as a potential career path. And uh, so you know, um, actually, when I got to so my first job in editing, you know, at the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and um, when I got the job there, I actually did intend to keep writing. And it's just that um, I think one of the things that happened to me, which I think happens to a lot of editors and or at least at least maybe slush readers, is that um, reading slush all day um and you know for people who don't know slushes uh w- slushes is, is, is are all the manu that's what the that's like it's a that's the publishing term for all the unsolicited manuscripts that you get submitted to you so like if you're just if anybody if you have open submissions that means anybody in the world can send you a story and submit it for publication and so they call all of those submissions slush um, and anyway, so the you know if you're a slush reader and, and you you know you're spending all day reading all these stories, you know the majority of which are very bad, um, or or not maybe not the majority is very bad, but they're bad, you know, um, and it's certainly not publishable. Um, you know that can sort of paralyze you as a writer because um, if you sit down to write and you can't turn off your internal editor, um, you know it can be sort of um, appalling because you're like, oh my god, I'm writing terrible, terrible slush here, and I, you know, can't even get to the end of the story because it's so terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so anyway, I, I I sort of discovered that early on, and I just sort of decided to put that on hold, and uh, you know. Someday I might return to it, but uh, you know, for now, I mean, I'm really busy um, doing all this editing, and uh, and the editing career has been uh, taking off quite well. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm not. You're, you're the editing door. as much as Isaac Asimov was when <laughs> when he was around. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he edited a bit after his death too, which was a, was <laughs> yeah. a surprise. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to keep up with him. And he was also uh, he was also writing books in every genre and uh, and several books in science fiction a year too at the same time. So true, uh, I, I think he's still got his his output still quite a bit more than mine. But yeah. Um, did you did you model your your own um, book editing after you know the the anthologizing? It, 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 the stuff he put together, a lot of it was very good, and you can still pick up one of his his old collections and find a a bunch of gems that are. You know, not as well known as along along with a few great, great well known titles. Mm. How 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 did you who did you model your own uh, uh, book editing after? Uh, I'm not sure if I if it was any one particular editor. Um, you know, uh, you know, my first book was Wastelands, and uh, that was very much influenced by a, another book called Beyond Armageddon, uh, which was edited by Martin H. Greenberg and mm-hmm. Walter um, Walter M. Miller, Walter M. Miller uh, Jr. 
um, you know, who wrote Kentico for Leibowitz. And, uh, you know, so it's a post-apocalyptic anthology, but it was published in like 1985. And so basically I conceived Wastelands as sort of a spiritual successor in that I was aiming to sort of put together stories, the best stories collected since Beyond Armageddon, you know, not duplicating any of them. Um, but also I picked a few that were sort of before it came out, but I thought they were sort of overlooked, you know. So they're sort of pre, you know, they were available when Beyond Armageddon came out, but they weren't in there. Um, so, you know, that sort of largely influenced how I ended up putting Wastelands together. And then, um, and then, you know, my other books are sort of, you know, I just modeled them on Wastelands after that. And it's just sort of been fine tuning it since then. Um, you know, Wastelands was about 150,000 words. Uh, the next one I did was Living Dead and that was about 230,000. And then, so then I sort of started copying, um, you know, all of my future anthologies off that. It, there was uh, sort of a like you know to do there was a, there was a sort of a dearth of um or sorry a lacking of uh, uh science fiction anthologies in the i guess the eighties and nineties and now they seem well i guess in large part to your your production have increased again in the seventies there was tons of themed anthologies <laughs> and i it sort of disappeared and it was it was a huge market for for short fiction mm-hmm. uh, do you think that your production, and I guess there there are other short short collections out there. Um, is this an alternative market to the the magazines that is increasing the production, or is it? Are you soliciting enough new stuff to to say whether you know people are actually writing more sci- short science fiction, or is it just you know you you are you're doing reprints as well as originals, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think yeah, that no. good? No, do you think that that's increasing the 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 market for a little bit for short short fiction? Because there's it's a it's a great alternative to the big giant fat fantasy novels that I don't want to read. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. No, I mean, I think uh, the thing is nobody had done any of these big reprint anthologies like like I was doing, uh, like I've been doing uh, for for a number of years. I mean, you know, it's always been like sort of institutional knowledge that like, you know, anthologies don't sell. That's what everybody says, you know, and it's just like a lot of publishers have given up even trying to to publish them and trying to to do anything big with them. Um, You know, when Nightshade took on Wastelands, um, you know, I put together a pretty good lineup, you know, which included Stephen King and Jonathan Lethem and George R. R. Martin. And, and so I think they just saw the opportunity to say, hey, you know, with, the, with, with, with this book, we can actually push this. And also it's sort of we we're sort of hitting at the sort of a zeitgeist, we we're sort of hitting the zeitgeist. And, and you know, uh, post-apocalyptic was sort of reaching its peak right when that came out. And, um, you know, uh, they just saw the opportunity that, you know, hey, you know, if we put if we put marketing behind this and we buy, you know, sort of store placement and, and you know, we can reach like mainstream readers and science fiction readers and really, you know, get a breakout hit with this possibly. And and it turned out to be accurate. You know, I mean, it sold very well. Um, but I mean, I think, you know, because no one had been doing these sort of theme anthologies for a number of years, at least not in the way that I've been doing them, you know, not doing the sort of best of reprint collections on right. a theme. Right. Um, nobody had been doing them for a number of years. I mean, I think it's it's reaching a bunch of readers who were sort of maybe looking for that kind of thing, but they hadn't been finding them. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think people who sort of stumble across The Living Dead or Wastelands or something because it's like, oh, well, they like that, that genre, you know, or that subgenre. Um, I mean, I think 
that's that's only going to be good for short fiction in the long run because you know hey maybe maybe those people they wouldn't like I mean I think there's a large percentage of the people who bought both of those books that wouldn't necessarily identify as short fiction readers but they bought them because you know it had a very attractive package it had a lot of big names on the cover it was a theme that they were really interested in um, but you know once they read those and enjoy them you know I think that it's sort of natural that some percentage of those readers even if they weren't short fiction readers before will sort of seek out other things. Um, in that vein and you know I have several other anthologies that they can look for and now I also have the magazines but um, you know maybe even you know that will encourage them to sort of pursue uh, or maybe to encourage them to subscribe to the magazines that they that you know I reprinted those stories from you know because I mean uh, in the in the in the back of every book I mean there's a page that lists you know where all the stories came from so you know and I, I mean I've certainly looked in there to see um, you know where stories have come from and it's and it's interesting to, to sort of uh, in a book that I didn't edit, if you look in there and you see, oh, look, this this story came from an anthology that I've never heard of, but it mm-hmm. sounds interesting. Let me look it up, you know. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's a lot of uh, potential for increasing the audience by, you know, having these anthologies that are in, sort of intended for a broader market um, mm. and and can reach out and get those readers who weren't specifically looking for short fiction and you know maybe convert them. Yeah, uh, I, I think you know there's something to just picking up an anthology and. You know, you find a, a bad story, but there's another story right next to it that might be really good, and and then this one's got you something in a different way, and it gives you that that um, uh, way to taste other authors who you might want to expand out. Mm-hmm. I, I find that I don't uh, I I don't pick up a book based on you know what its cover looks like as much as oh I heard that guy or I read that guy before and. Um, yeah, that was pretty good. I'll I'll check this one out, and it's sort of one book leads to the next one. And mm. with an anthology, you you have uh, a branching out that allows you to to get more. Speaking of which, the uh, one of the newest books you have is Brave New Worlds, the dystopian mm. uh, collection. Yeah, uh, is there is that doing well enough to do a utopian one? Cause <laughs> I, I think dystopian and utopia are really the same thing. It's yeah. just who's who's. Uh, you know what? Maybe the attitude, or the uh, who's who's uh, who's getting stomped on, or right? You know, who's it's, stomping. It's, yeah, it's about perspective. I mean, it's about you know, it's uh, depends depends on uh, you know, it's only either holder. It's a uh, you know, uh, but yeah. Um, I mean, Brave New World is doing uh, pretty well. I mean, it's not uh, it's not selling like The Living Dead. Although everyone everyone has uh, told me that don't expect any anthology you ever do ever again to sell like The Living Dead. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, Living it's doing the Living well. Dead too. <laughs> What's that? Mm-hmm. Including the Living Dead too? Yeah, no, it hasn't. It hasn't done nearly as well. So I mean, you know, it's it's selling okay, but I mean, it's uh, um, it, it hasn't uh, it hasn't uh, you know, set the world on fire or anything. But um, yeah, no, I mean, Brave New World is doing well. It's uh, I don't know, I don't know that it's uh, you know, going to lead to another volume. But um, I mean, I, I, that was a that was a book I was very pleased with. Um, and you know, it's been getting a lot of great reviews. And you know, um, one of the things that was very gratifying, you know, was that not only did Wastelands, you know, my first book do very well, but it got a lot of critical acclaim, like including starred reviews and, and uh, you know, a, and a bunch of reviews saying like, oh, this is one of my favorite books ever and, and that kind of thing. And it's like, I mean, I was really, you know, honored to have that kind of reaction from people. But, um, you know, and then Brave New World is getting a lot of attention like that as well. And, and so that's really gratifying because, I mean, I think really Wastelands and Brave, and Brave New Worlds are probably the two anthologies that, um, sort of mean the most to me just because like those themes were ones that I'm really, really drawn to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and, and just like, uh, 
they're the ones that I felt most passionate about um, doing books on because like I felt like they were underrepresented. Um, and, you know, it turned out Zombies was actually very unrepresented, too, uh, at the time when, when The Living Dead came out. Um, you know, no one had really attempted to do that, you know, here's the best of zombie fiction book, you know, even though there had been some zombie anthologies prior to that, obviously. But, um, you know, no one had done, attempted to collect it all, all the best in one volume like that. And uh, so, you know, I mean, it's, it's been actually it's been a lot of fun doing all these different books like that because, um, you know, even even themes like uh, like the vampires, which obviously you know, that market's pretty saturated. But um, it was really interesting to do that book because, I mean, there's there's a ton of there's a ton of material. But then, you know, when you when you look at it all and sort of distill it down into that one volume, I mean, that that I, I think that's valuable to readers because yes, it is. Um, you know, just like, where do you start? Where would you start with it, some of these things? It's like, there's just so many things to choose from. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's fun editorially because it's like, you know, I get to put my stamp on what I say, what, what I think is the best, you know? And, uh, so. Yeah. We, we've talked on this podcast, um, a few times in the past about the role of an editor in a, mm-hmm. in a writer's life. And just recently I read, um, Passengers by Robert Silverberg. It's mm-hmm. in that cool Phases of the Moon uh, collection from Subterranean. So it's got some notes from Silverberg in there. And he was talking about how he, he really wanted to sell this to Damon Knight. you know. So he sends it to Damon Knight, and Damon Knight sends it back and says, nah, it's not quite right. So he rewrites it and sends it back and says, ah, it's not quite right. But, you know, and then he ended up with an award-winning story you know, mm-hmm. at the end of this process, which he, he said was pretty grueling but worth it. Um, so what is your role? You know, when you're creating a... Uh, an original anthology um so you're taking original stories or whatever your role is more than just selecting the stories right yeah sure uh mm-hmm. you know i mean i i i'm in the position where i could do the same thing as what damon knight was doing there um but you know i mean it's uh the thing is um sometimes you have stories that you know, where you, where you have somebody like Robert Silverberg and he submits a story and it's like, obviously you want to have Robert Silverberg in the book. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, you know, you sort of, you're, you're going to do what you can to work with them to see if you can make it work. If it doesn't work when initially submits it, or I mean, any, any writer that you like, I guess, you know, not, not just people like Silverberg, but, um, you know, I mean, the editor, it's the editor's job to make every story the best that it can be. Um, and you know, you just have to, when you're editing a book, um, you just kind of have, you sort of have to look at, your options and say, well, is, is this, is this, is this salvageable from, you know, like whatever they submit, like you get to look at it and say, well, is this salvageable? Um, is it worth the effort to try to make this fit? Um, you know, depending on the author, depending on where the story is when, when it's submitted and, um, you know, because, you know, there's always the possibility that you can just pass on the story and say, oh, well, you know, thanks for writing this, but it doesn't work for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, you know, you sort of you're sort of under more more of an obligation to work with the writer as much as possible. Like if you act, you know, you actively sub- solicit them, which is um, the case of most anthologies, is that you know you're going to writers and you're soliciting stories from them and asking them to write stories for you. Um, you know, when you're when you're doing something like Lightspeed, obviously it's like you know, um, I mean, I ask people to send stories, but you know, the majority of the material that I receive is just submitted, you know, randomly, sort of unsolicited. Um, and so in that case, it's like you're more likely to probably, you know, uh, something that doesn't quite work, more more inclined to just pass on it rather than, you know, work extensively with the author to make it work. But, um, but I mean, there certainly have been cases where I've, I've done some extensive work with authors and asked for revisions. And uh, and sometimes the revisions uh, worked out well and I ended up buying the story and sometimes they didn't. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean that's that's part of the editor's job, um, you know. To and and every editor works differently. I mean, I think in short fiction, um, you know, uh, I get the impression that editors don't do that as much as they maybe used to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I, I mean, I've heard you've heard you, you. I'm sure you guys have heard the same story as I have. Um, you know, all the legendary editors in the field. I mean, like you were just talking about Damon Knight. Um, I mean, I know John W. Campbell um, did this a lot, and uh, like you know, there's a famous example. Um, you know, Tom Godwin wrote the story, The Cold Equations, um, which is a great, great story, one mm-hmm. of my favorite stories. Um, and uh, and so I read that, and I was like just blown away by the story. And then I was reading, um, I was reading about it afterward, and uh, apparently um, Tom Godwin had submitted it with uh, with a different ending. And John W. Campbell just said, "Oh well, this is great, but you know the ending's terrible. You can't have you know like any." And he told them all these ways to try to fix it. And um, apparently, Godwin like came up with all these inventive ways of sort of uh, changing the ending, but none of it was sort of fitting with what Campbell said. And and Campbell was just like, "Ah, the guy was just he was so ingeniously coming up with all these different solutions, but none of them just worked. It's just like it's got to be this way." I'm I'm sorry, I'm trying to be vague in case anyone hasn't read it. Cause I don't want to say what this <laughs> Because um, it's an amazing story, and it's like I don't, I don't want to spoil it for you. And, and I mean, you can actually read it online if you Google it; you'll find it online. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, you hear you, you hear about that, and you like that story, and then there's uh, oh, uh, oh my God, flowers for Algernon, mm-hmm. another one of my. I mean, that's actually my favorite story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's like you know, he uh, Daniel Key submitted that to Horace Gold at uh, Galaxy, and um, and. Uh, Let's see what was the ch- he he made some horrible suggestion I can't remember what it was now um, it's just as well in case you know so I don't spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it too but um, you know he made some horrible suggestion um, and, and luckily Daniel Keyes didn't take it and he and instead he just took the story and he, and he sent it to a magazine of fantasy and science fiction and they bought it you know mm-hmm. so um, without asking him to make any change so or at least not that change mm-hmm. but uh, yeah no I mean that was that was another interesting um, you know. Uh, encounter in, in, in editorial lore. I mean, it's just you know you, you think of that, you see that, and you're like, oh my god, what was he thinking? It's like that would have ruined the story. Um, and you know, I mean, the thing is, like, I think like in both cases, the flowers for flowers for Algernon and the cold equations, like people wouldn't remember those stories now if they had taken that you know taken that editor's um, or in, in the case of gold, if 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 Keys had taken his advice. Um, in the case of, uh, of the cold equations, if Godwin hadn't listened to Campbell, uh, you know, no one would have remembered the story. So, uh, so yeah, uh, the cold equations is not a very well told story, but its its ending and its in its um, structure are perfect. Yeah. So adaptations of it are often much better than the the actual stories is very clunkily put together in in its reading, and you know the characters are not great. But uh, as you say, it it is a story that will blow you away. Mm-hmm. Um. So, is there uh, is there no position of editor? Uh, you've been to New York. I've never been to New York. You've been to the publishing houses. Is mm-hmm. there no position of editor where the editor takes uh, a novel and says, "No, go back and rewrite this. Knock out, knock out uh, this section. Take it out." Is is it just purchasing now? And, and oh no. Oh yeah, no. I mean, in book in book editing, uh, like in novel length editing, uh, you know. Editors do that all the time, and, and uh, that was one of the things that I was sort of astounded to learn um, when I first got in the industry. Is that like I kind of assumed that that kind of thing happened all the time, like even at the short story level. But uh, for short stories, I guess it's more it's more of like a buyer's market, you know. Whereas you know, short stories are like more sort of disposable in that if the writer writes a story, 
and can't sell it, it's like not as big a deal as if they wrote a novel and, and it doesn't quite work. You know what I mean? So it's like if say say you have a writer that you really like and, and they send you a story and it doesn't quite work, it's like, well, you can pass on that and just hope that they'll, you know, ask them to send you something else. And, and you know, there's plenty of short story markets for them to choose from. For, for a novel, it's like, you know, obviously there's um, a limited, more limited number of markets, but then also, um, you know, it's like if you reject a novel from an author, well, you're probably not going to see their next novel, you know? Um, so especially, and, and often novels are contracted, uh, before, you know, the, not the author even writes the novel. So, I mean, the editor is sort of under some obligation to really do a lot of work with the uh, author to make it work. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've heard stories of, you know, actually horrifying sounding stories. I mean, from the author point of view, I mean, sure it was necessary, but, um, you know, just of, you know, submitting a novel and having it accepted and then getting the letter from the editor. And it's just like, oh, it's like just such a such a, a drastic change, you know, so many changes uh, to every aspect of the book. And uh, I mean, I think that's, um, you know. There's a reason that editors, you know, have are end up in the jobs that they do. I mean, you know, they, uh, you know, they're really necessary um, for for a lot of authors uh, to to work closely with them to, you know, in order to get the books to, you know, where they end up, um, you know, before they get published. So, um, yeah, I mean, that that's, that stuff happens all the time. I mean, basically every editor, as far as I know, still does that stuff. Hmm. Well, the, the I don't know. The the seem the seem it seems to be they're doing the opposite instead of cutting it down there. They're bulking it up or something because. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah, no. I mean, it's possible that they're encouraging them to write more, but I mean, they're they're certainly not. Um, they're certainly not just like having an novel submitted and then saying, "Oh, yep, this is good. Let's put it into production." You know, I mean, they're you know they're editing it and you know working with the author to restructure it and and and, and you know, um, you know, fix problems with characters and plot lines and you know all that kind of thing. I mean, that that's what I meant that they're working heavily with the authors to revise and whatnot. But you know, I mean, as far as uh, trimming it down versus fattening it up, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the trend is certainly towards fattening things up as opposed to shortening them. Uh, I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, you know, being a fan of short fiction, it, it probably doesn't surprise anyone to learn this. I mean, I'm actually a really fan of uh, shorter novels like novellas uh, and novelettes. Mm. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. But I mean, at least as far as like novel length goes, I mean, you know, like novel length, if you look at the award ballots, it's like 40,000 words and up. Right. It's like, yeah. you know, you've probably never actually seen a 40,000 word novel. But, um, you know, there are 50,000 word ones, 60,000 word ones like they were plentiful in the in the old days, like in, you know, the. 50s and earlier and you know probably up through the 70s um and, and then at some point just like the you know larger fatter novels started taking over and, and you never see those anymore those shorter ones but um yeah i mean that's, i mean there's some really great books that, I, that i've read that are like you know couldn't be more than sixty thousand words and and you know which is you know almost almost half of what most novels are these days i mean most novels are about 100 to 120 thousand words or so it's or maybe maybe 80 to 100 120 thousand somewhere in that range you know um but uh yeah i mean i i kind of i'm kind of sad that uh that we don't get those shorter novels anymore because i mean you know sometimes that's all you need to tell the story you know and it's like if you're padding it out to fill 300 pages or something it's like well that's not that's not in the service of the book that's in the service of marketing yeah I I was very disheartened by your your discussion of that that novel I am number four at the end of your last <laughs> podcast, um, and it made me think that you know this is <laughs> this is everybody's ultimate goal is just put a lot of merchandising into the book and put a guy with a shirt off a teenager with a shirt off and and we've got it we've got our everything made you know and you don't even the writer doesn't matter anymore just the marketing right and it, it's very depressing because. This is uh, I I didn't notice that it wasn't by a name author when I 
well, I was looking at the audiobook version out there, and mm-hmm. I just thought, oh, it's just another science fiction book. Oh, it's got a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had picked that up, I would be very disappointed. It's not. Yeah, what I'm I mean, it's for. like that's a case of like, you know, what's that? It's not what I'm going for. I'm not. I'm not. I was just hoping it was a science fiction novel, and it it doesn't yeah. sound like one. It sounds like something else. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's like, it's, it's an example of like, you know, learning all the wrong lessons from Star Wars, you know, or from George Lucas, uh, you know, in the, you know, how, how this merchandising became such a part of it. Um, it's like, you know, oh, that worked for George Lucas. Let's see if we can adapt that to like books, you know, and, and also, uh, you know, sort of borrowing from, um, James Patterson's fiction factory idea where, you know, just, it's like, oh, well, you know. Books, books are all ideas. That's all that matters. Uh, you know, we'll just get some, get anybody to write them, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Well, uh, this is sort of an out, out there question, but uh, it got me to thinking, um, what, what, what do you think the, the purpose of science fiction is outside of science fiction enjoyment? What, you know, if you relate it to politics, if, if you talk about a dystopian novel or a dystopian story, I think the reason it's interesting to us is because we can apply it to our society or the society that we're developing or what have you. It should be related to that. And if it's not, then I don't, I, I'm not particularly interested in reading it. But there seems to be sort of, it's becoming, everything's becoming more insular and in that we're willing to talk about it just in the context of other books, but not willing to con- talk about it in the context of the society mm-hmm. spawning it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, good science fiction, you know, does, you know, sort of, you, you can sort of apply it to the to the world uh, as it is today. And, and, and it sort of, it, it'll help you look at, you know, today's problems in a different light or, or whatever. Um, I mean, I think one of the issues with things like I Am Number Four is that, it, you know, it's it, it's using the furniture of science fiction, but it's not really science fiction. You know, I mean, it's just like, it's like superficially science fiction. You know, it's like it's using it's using all all of the all of the um or you know it's it's playing with the tools that science fiction has built, but it's not really attempting to do anything that science fiction generally attempts to do. Um, and I mean, I think that's you know that's that's not uncommon actually. I mean, even in like core science fiction, which you know which I'm number four is not. It's 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 a, it's YA and it's a very very sort of crassly commercial. You know, it makes no attempts at being you know an artistic piece of work is you know just specifically all about merchandising and stuff as you say um but i mean you know i think like um you know a lot of the a lot of uh you know like urban fantasy nowadays i mean not all but you know there's a there's a good number of them today that it's like you look at them it's like well you know obviously they're not trying to do anything too sophisticated here and it's just a good fun adventure or whatever um and uh you know it's it's like it's taking it's taking you know elements that that we're all familiar with and just you know putting them in a in a in a in a story that is really not intended to do anything more than entertain. And I mean I don't think there's anything wrong with that per se, but I mean yeah, I mean there's certainly going to be um there's going to be people who are interested in that kind of thing. And there's people who aren't. Um, and I mean, uh, unfortunately I think, I think, you know, that kind of stuff is actually tends to be much more popular, um, because, uh, you know, it doesn't require you to think as much. Um, and you know, it's just fun. You can sort of go along with the flow and, and enjoy the thing. And, and, you know, uh, you'll probably, you'll probably forget it not too long after reading it, but, um, you know, it doesn't, uh, doesn't tax your mental uh, muscles too much. So, mm-hmm. and that tends to be what the majority of people go for. So, I'm getting depressed. I'm working in this industry, and you know, <laughs> I was I was hoping you'd have a much more. Uh, <clears throat> here's here's three ways we can solve this problem. <laughs> I, I, 
I, I think, you know, there, there's no... It, I noticed on your, uh, your uh, dystopian anthology, Harlan Ellison had, uh, or at least you've got it as, as such, his name and story are, are registered. And yeah. I thought, well, a lot of people had been making fun of that on the internet prior, but if we had some way to, uh, uh, to make sure that the usage of the term science fiction doesn't get uh, conf- you know, con- confused with the term sci-fi or S-Y-Y, mm-hmm. however that's pronounced, that sort of thing, that, that it, it only confers to one particular kind of fiction. Yeah. It might be able to help, help things a bit because I, I think you know, having people read The Cold Equations makes them smarter and makes mm-hmm. them, makes them uh, look at the world in a better way than having not read it. And I think uh, Flowers for Algernon makes people better people. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's the kind of science fiction I want more of, but if people put the label science fiction on things that are related to sparkling vampires and all the other uh, horrible things that are uh, somehow cloaked in it, it, mm-hmm. it it's it's making me depressed. <laughs> it's making me very depressed. I yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's sort of been a movement within science fiction to do that, to try to sort of take back the term um, throughout, you know, I mean, I don't know how long ago it started, but I mean, you know, at least uh, as long as uh, the term sci-fi has been bandied about and sort of became mainstream, I mean, there's been, you know, like uh, the first time I remember encountering it is in, uh, you know, Ben Bova wrote a book um, on writing science fiction. Um, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but in, in that book, I remember he specifically was pointing out that, like, in this book, I'm not going to use the words the words science fiction to refer to anything that's like a like in movies and whatever. Like you're saying, like the stuff that um, you know is not actually really science fiction, but just sort of plays around the, with the tropes. Um, and you know, so he so he sort of has sci-fi, which he uses to describe that sort of science fiction light stuff that just plays with the furniture or whatever. Um, and he reserves the term science fiction or SF, um, you know, to being like real science fiction um and you know i mean you can we can try to do that but i mean it's ultimately people aren't going to really do it um you know it's kind of funny uh um how 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 much you know uh like the media and like hollywood movies and whatever like they'll go out of their way to to avoid any association with dreaded science fiction or sci-fi term you know um even when like what they're doing is obviously science fiction like by any one's definition even if it's got terrible science right but um you know uh like you know, I'm, I'm, you remember this movie called The Core with the Hillary Swank. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I never actually saw it, but I mean, I've I've heard it's like you know, like we talked about it on Geek's Guide, where it's like it's got like the worst science in it ever. Um, but I mean, I remember she just like you know, she was like denying in every interview I saw that it's science fiction. Like, oh well, it's really about the characters. That's my favorite line. Like, they would say, <laughs> oh, it's not science fiction. It's really about the characters. I, you know, because science fiction is never about characters. It's never you know. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's like, yeah, no, feel free to deny that science fiction. I mean, really, I, I would like everyone to deny that it's science fiction because it's appalling. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, all we can do is uh, try to publish a bunch of good stuff and, and get that in front of people instead of, uh, you know, the, the lazier stuff. Okay. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing a, a new anthology of the old old great stuff along with a few of the new greats. Uh, I, I, have you got a Ted Chiang story yet? I, I, he's my only hope, basically. You know? <laughs> he's my only hope of a guy who's writing today, and he's writing stuff that could have been written by, you know, one of the greats in the in the past. Mm-hmm. His, his, uh, he, I don't think he's even working on a novel. But every time I read one of his stories, I get renewed hope. Is there is there any chance of a, an anthology of you know, 
basically science fiction hall of fame revisited or something like that uh coming out of your your um your typewriter or <laughs> publishing house uh well i mean i don't have anything lined up just yet i mean um the trouble with the books like that is that um they can be really hard to market um one of the reasons i think uh my theme anthologies have been able to do well is that you know uh for people who aren't just science fiction venues you know like if you want to get reviewed in 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 more mainstream markets uh um, or even just pick up readers who are who are more you know mainstream, maybe not just science fiction readers. Um, you know those things have that extra hook to get people. Um, whereas something like Science Fiction Hall of Fame, it's really going to appeal to a much smaller um, market uh, or a much more narrowly defined market anyway. Um, and well, I would love uh, to see it published uh, as a as, as as a textbook. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Making so, it. I mean, uh, yeah, that would be great. I mean, you know, um, I mean, I, I'd love to do a book. How like do you that. crack the textbook market? I I right, have right. no idea. But mm-hmm. I'm actually I would several- love to see, uh, you know, a, a hardcover. So, you yeah. know, durable hardcover designed right. to be uh, uh, marketed to schools because that's right. where I think you have to fix things. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I would love to do a book like that. I mean, largely, uh, you know, it, you know not, uh, largely because, you know, I mean, I read a lot of, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm for Lightspeed, for instance, I'm reading a lot of reprints because we do reprints alongside the originals. And, and it's like, you know, I read a lot of uh, like best of anthologies and stuff and, and and even like classic, you know, Hall of Fame anthologies like that. And like and, and a lot of the stories to me, they just don't they don't hold up. No. And I mean, maybe and maybe they were the year's best or, or the best of all time when those books came out. It's, you know, it's hard to say. But like I read them now and I'm like, yeah, this doesn't really hold up to me. And but and yet still the books that are being used as textbooks still use them, you know? And I would love to put together a book like you're talking about that would really just be, you know, the best of all the old stuff with the best of the newer stuff, you know, that, you know, contemporary readers will read and be able to appreciate, you know, like, you know, younger readers and older readers, everyone will be able to read it and appreciate it um, without all of the, the clunkier stuff that, that, you know, sort of ruins it for me. Um, and uh, all yeah. science, science fiction. Science, yeah. science fiction, or uh, English science fiction, or you know, I can I can see you know a story could fit in a science science fiction uh, book. That's the physics, right? <laughs> physics mm-hmm. science fiction, or um, biology science fiction, or um, critical thinking science fiction. All the, all the different cla- classroom um, points where you could assign something that wouldn't be uh, a vampire with a shirt off, or huh. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's it's hor- it's horrifying that, that this is you know people are assigning uh, horrible horrible Twilight novels as homework. This <laughs> is not where we need to be taking our society. There's their dystopian novel, a dystopian yeah. uh, collection, and it's just people reading that for for homework. It's not going to help them. But I noticed in uh, for example your your dystopian collection, you you had the passenger, or oh, not the passenger. That's the one Scott mentioned, the pedestrian. Um, yeah. The, that's that's one that's still in textbooks and it and it should be even though television is sort of not the evil that it turned that he yeah. expected it to be it's still a relevant story right it could be applied to you know uh, i don't know uh, video games or something else that mm-hmm. uh you know the reason the velt is still is still in those textbooks if you can find them mm-hmm. um yeah i'd love to see that and so let me know if uh, I can help you out in any way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not that I, I I have any ties to the school book marketing hmm. departments, but there there's got to be there's got to be a few teachers out there upset like I am that there isn't something that we can go down to the 
to the um, the catalog and, and just pick pick out of. Uh, so I, I end up finding finding old back issues of things, and and it, it's not the ideal. The textbooks that I have are, are worn out, and I don't have enough copies for everybody. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well I'll, right. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. Good deal. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. <laughs>